All right, good morning again. Good morning. We're going to be back in the book of James, but we're going to start our study in the book of James in the Gospel of St. Mark. The Gospel of Mark. I want to cite a passage here in which the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians had all gathered themselves together to try and trip up the Lord Jesus. The Bible says to try and catch him in his talk. They always tried to do that. They wanted to pit him against the law of Moses or their traditions. They wanted to find something that he would say that would be wrong or sinful, and they failed every time. This was the question about the man who had a wife, and, and he died, and then his brother married the woman and then the seven had her and in the resurrection their question was who had her and so this is where the story picks up and if you're in Mark chapter 12 verse 22 we'll just pick it up right there <clears throat> it's not so much the subject of their question but it's what he told them you know sometimes we need to be very careful when we say I believe this about God if you say, I believe this about God, you fill in the blank. I hope you can go to the Holy Scriptures and prove it. That's right. I hope you can go there and say, this is why I believe this about God. There are literally millions of people in the world that will tell you about God who know absolutely nothing about God, nor have they ever cracked open this book with the seven seals. And so Jesus is dealing with some, and this is a dangerous sort, because they had cracked open the Torah. They did know what was written in the Old Testament scriptures. So, verse 22, it says, The seven had her <clears throat> and left no seed. Last of all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, when they shall rise, whose wife shall she be of them? For the seven had her to wife. Jesus answering said unto them, and remember our text from James, Do ye not err, because you know not the scriptures, nor the power of God? For when they shall rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels which are in heaven. But as touching the dead that they rise... Have you not read? I love that. I love how I love when Jesus answered them and said, Have you not read? In the book of Moses, how in the bush God spake unto them, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And then he adds these final words, Ye therefore do greatly err. Beloved, how often today do Christians zealously defend religious positions or doctrines or think certain things about the true and living God that they did not learn from the scriptures, that they cannot defend from the scriptures, and that they nor anyone else can find in the scriptures? Be so careful, my beloved brethren. And James says this. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Don't forget those last words. James had a compassion for those that he wrote to. Beloved, be so careful of erring in this. Of believing or even saying things about God that you have been told. Things that you have never studied for yourself or found to be true from the Holy Scriptures. Be so careful of that. It may in fact be true. But do you know it for yourself? Listen, if you believe the truth of God, you need to own it. It's got to be yours. You need to possess this truth by faith. When you tell someone that you believe something about God or something in his holy word, make sure that you can open your Bible and profess what you believe to be true. Study to show thyself approved unto God 
a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. It's a shame for you to say, I believe this, and when someone asks you for proof from the scriptures, and you can't. And so Paul tells Timothy, study to show yourself approved unto God. Now to the book of James. We left off in near proximity to that passage, do not err, my beloved brethren. Do not err, my beloved brethren. <clears throat> the word err comes from the word error or error. It's, a, it's, a, it's from the Latin word. It means to stray, means to wander or be deceived or turned aside from what is true and what is right. James, no doubt, was teaching the people of God, you better be careful about what you think about God or what you say of God in regard to the previous verses. That God is the author of sin. When we accuse God as being the author of my sin. And James says, do not err, my beloved brethren. And that was James's point of emphasis here. Do not err in how you think of God. Do not err of how you think of God. I would encourage you today and every day of your Christian life to think of God. And to think good, high, vertical thoughts of God. To think of God, how he represents himself in the Holy Scriptures, beloved. We need to think rightly about God. Otherwise, our Christianity will be brought into the place of us thinking that we are dealing with someone who is on our own level. And God is not on our own level. You may not understand what you're reading in the Scriptures. Oftentimes, I don't. We may not understand and be so careful of running to the commentary so quick. Ask God to show you. Read that passage in full context. Be so careful of believing what somebody else said and embracing that and yet not being able to prove it. Not being able to embrace it by faith. Let God open the scriptures up to you. But be so careful. And listen, we're all prone to stray and wonder from God, aren't we, in our thoughts. You've heard the saying, to err is human. You've heard that. We are certainly erring humans. And that is why we have constant need of being led by God. I need to be led so that I will not err, that I will not walk in error, that I will not go down wrong paths. This is why the Lord Jesus taught his disciples when he taught him to pray, taught them to pray, taught us to pray. He taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead me not into temptation. Father, help me. Deliver me from the evil one's objective to ruin me. In fact, if you look up, deliver me from evil, it actually means from the evil one. Deliver me from the evil one, from his objective to ruin me and my Christian life. He wants to ruin you. That's his prime objective. He will rejoice. As the angels of God rejoice when one sinner repents, the wicked one and the father of darkness rejoice, rejoices when he ruins a Christian. And so be so careful, beloved. Lead us not into temptation. So deliver me from the evil one's objective, but also deliver me from the evil that lurks within my own heart. Keep me from wandering from the truth and from my own faith in Christ. Let not even the slightest sin be conceived in my heart in regard to my thought of God. Listen, how you think of God will directly impact how you live your life. How you think of the high God of heaven. If you have a low view of God then your life will follow suit. If you have a low view of God, then you will err if you do not highly esteem him. And so I encourage you. But how can I make sure, how can I make sure that my thoughts of God are right thoughts? Well, by being led by God in his holy word. Look at the Psalms. Turn back to Psalm verse 5. 
Psalm chapter 5, rather, or Psalm 5. I don't know if you'd call it a chapter, but Psalm 5. Listen to the, the Psalms, the prayers of some of the Old Testament saints of God. <clears throat> Verse 7, Psalm 5, 7 says, But as for me, I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy, and in thy fear will I worship toward thy holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness because of mine enemies. Make thy way straight before my face. Lead me. And I will submit unto you that you cannot be led in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, as Psalm 23 says, unless you're in the word of God. Unless you're in God's holy word and you are being led by him. Psalm 25 and verse 4. Psalm 25 and verse 4. Listen. We're sheep. We're followers. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. If you're a follower of Christ and you profess to be a follower of Christ, which we do if we're in Christ, then we must be following that one who leads us, the good shepherd. We must follow him. We must be led in paths of righteousness. Psalm 25, verse 4. Show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Once again, you'll find those paths in the word of God. Lead me in thy truth. That is that path, the straight gate which leads unto life. We are to never stop aiming for the straight gate. You say, well, I'm saved. I'm through that gate. You need to keep going toward it. We need to continue to go continue to go toward the straight gate. Lead me in thy truth and teach me. For thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. Listen, as a Christian, I am saved. As a Christian, I am being saved. As a Christian at the last day, I will be finally saved. And so, beloved, your salvation is that which continues. It's not isolated to a day in the past where you go back and you nail a stake in the ground and say, look, that's when I was saved. No, beloved, our salvation is continuing. We are continuing to be saved. We, you should wake up every day and believe Christ. Well, I believed Christ back then. Do you believe Christ today? Do you believe Christ this day? And so, beloved, that's so important. Psalm 27, 11. Psalm 27, 11. How do I keep myself from erring? Well, by being led by the good shepherd. 27, 11. 27, 11. Nope, that ain't the verse. 31, 1. 31 and verse 1. Psalm 31 and verse 1. In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in thy righteousness. Bow down thine ear to me. Deliver me speedily. Be thou my strong rock for an house of defense to save me. For thou, Lord, are my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for thy name's sake, lead me and guide me. You notice that? For thy name's sake, that you might receive the honor and the glory. Lead me and guide me. Finally, Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. And verse 24, and lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me. I have continual need of being led by God. As we learned last week, when you sin, your sin is your fault, not God's. To think that God somehow led you to sin is to greatly err in your heart. It's to greatly err in your heart. And you might not think that you directly blame God, but when you try and make excuses for how you sinned and why you sinned, well, you're basically blaming God, whether it's the circumstances and you're not owning up to your sin as being yours and yours alone. Remember, this is what Adam and Eve did. 
Whenever you say, I sin because of anything else but you, you're basically blaming God. Adam, the woman that thou gavest me, she gave me the fruit. If she wouldn't have gave it to me, it's your fault, God. Woman, the serpent. If the serpent wasn't here, it's your fault, God. God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he anyone to sin. And this is so important. This verse has helped me of late. God cannot be tempted with evil. What is James telling us here? He's telling us that he is God. He's not a man. Listen, I can do really good for a couple of days, but just follow me around long enough and you'll be disappointed. You ain't going to follow God and be disappointed because he's higher than the highest. He is the high and lofty one which inhabits eternity. His name is holy. He cannot sin. I'm going to tell, something that, tell you something that God cannot do. He cannot sin. He cannot sin. He is infinitely holy. And so in James 1.14, we'll look at these next two verses. It's very important to understand this because James is he's bringing a contrast before us. Verse 14, of course, we learned this last week. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished, when it's full grown, when it's strengthened itself in you, it brings forth death. We must never let it grow up. We must cut sin off in its conception. And we must never accuse God that he has led us to sin. So last week, God is not the author of sin. This week, God is the author of all good. Remember Genesis 1 and 2. You read the book of Genesis and you can see that everything that God created was good. God made the light, it was good. God made the animals, it was good. The plants, the creeping things, everything, even roaches, was good in the unfallen state. We despise them now, don't we? Snakes. I like snakes. In fact, when you get to the end of the creation account, God said it was very good. Very good. He did say something was not good in the garden, but it wasn't that it was evil. It was not sin that the man should be alone. And he created my dear wife. He created Eve. Chapter 3, it all unraveled when sin was found in the man. We sinned against God. God was not the author of it. Listen, God is the one single fountainhead and source of all good. And this is where your faith must take hold of the truth of God's word. Every good gift, as sin conceived, came from man. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Beloved God is the fountainhead and source. He is the first cause of all good. The problem with us is our good is tainted. Our definition of good in the world is tainted. God's is not. God's is not, beloved. And this is where you must have a very high view of God. Look at Psalm 34. Back in the Psalms, Psalm 34 and verse 8. God is not the author of sin. We are. God is the author of all good. Psalm 34 and verse 8. The psalmist here writes, O taste and see that the Lord is good. And this is where you must learn by experience and by faith that the Lord is good. I'm going to go back there and Miss Weeder probably made some kind of good Cajun dish. And I'll say, mm, that's good. And she'll say, you didn't taste it. 
I can't say it's good unless I taste. So you won't know the Lord is good, even though he is, unless you taste. The word literally means to eat. It means to eat. You will not know God's goodness, but by experience. So you must taste and see. You must come by faith to him and believe his holy word. You will not be nourished. You will not be blessed by the goodness of God unless you taste. Unless you believe God. Unless you enter in by faith with him through faith in Jesus Christ. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints. There is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. That's you. God is the author of all good. Well, that's not the way I see it, preacher. The stuff that's happening in my life, if you're a child of God, all things work together for your good. To them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. God is everlastingly and constantly good to us. Psalm 8411. Psalm 8411. God is the author of all good. Listen, if you're in Christ, to think anything else is to charge God foolishly. It's to sin against God. It's to say, I don't like how you are governing my life, God. We, in effect, say that when we stiff-arm God's providence and when we say we don't like it. Beloved, God is good. Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from above. That's heaven's good. It ain't tainted with the dirt of the earth. It's heaven's good. And God intends it for his children. The amazing thing about it is, is God's good to lost sinners. But so many can't see it and refuse to see it as God being good to them. 84.11, look at it there. For the Lord God is a sun better than the one that's in the sky heating us up right now. He is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. No good thing will he, have, he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Psalm 100 says, For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endureth to all Generations. Look at Psalm 145. I want to show you that one or one more, and then we'll move on. I mean, listen, can you wake up and say the Lord is good? Did you wake up and say the Lord is good? We should wake up and say the Lord is good. Though the sea roars and the mountains are falling around all around you, it doesn't matter, beloved. This is where our faith needs to take hold of the goodness of God, the goodness of God to you. Listen, the fact I, I'm blessed by the catechisms. Listen, if you're not here for the first hour, you should come because God is feeding us there. And Chris talked about to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord and talks about that, that time when this body will lay in the dust and I will be brought into heaven. It doesn't all of the sufferings of this present time and how bad this earthly life might be, boy, that's really good that God's going to take me into glory. He's a good God. He's forming and fashioning us for heaven. Psalm 145, verse 8, he says, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. All thy works shall praise thee, O Lord, and thy saints shall bless thee. His tender mercies are over all his works. God is good to the just and to the unjust. Read the Sermon on the Mount. God is good to the wicked. John the Baptist said this, a man can receive nothing, i.e. good, except it be given him from heaven. John the Baptist said, a man can receive nothing, unless it be given him from heaven. Listen, if you and I truly believe that God is good, 
and we should. We say that. Think about that sometimes. You know, sometimes I'll sit down and I'll, I'll pray and I'll ask the Lord for things and I'll say certain words in my prayer. And I try not, I try to, listen, prayer is a communication between you and the living God. It's you by faith speaking with God, the high and lofty one. There's a certain manner and spirit that you ought to have when you go and you speak to your God. And one of them ought to be that, God, God you are truly good to me. Listen, if you and I truly believe that God is good and he's the only giver of good and perfect gifts, how often would we be how often would we be at his throne of grace? How often will we be there praying, seeking him? Look at Matthew 7. He talks about he uses a comparison the Lord Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, which is the greatest sermon ever preached as far as I'm concerned. Um it ought to be, as far as anyone's concerned, the Lord Jesus preaching. But Matthew 7 and 7. Back to just saying words in our prayers when you pray. Have you ever thought about, am I thinking about what I'm saying? Because listen, quite frankly, sometimes we fall into the, to the rut of kind of repeating phrases in our prayers. And it's okay if we really mean them, but think if you were talking to someone down here and I just kept repeating myself to you, you'd go, you okay? You know, you having a stroke or something? I mean, so beloved, we need to really think about who we're communing with and to know that we're really communing with the living God when we're praying. I still remember Brother Randy talked about prayer. We, should, we need to pray without a filter. We need to pour out our souls to the Lord. And one of the things that we need to take hold of is that God is good. He's eternally good. He's unchangeably good. It's easy for us to fall into this life is hard and just things are too hard. I don't know how much of this I can take. Don't worry, God. Not, he's not going to put more on you than you can take, child of God. He won't. He will not suffer you to be tempted or tried above that you're able to bear. He's good and he's sanctifying you. He's doing his work. Look at Matthew 7, 7. Jesus said, ask and it shall be given you. Who are you asking? The only giver of good. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh, receiveth. And he that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be open. Here's the example. What man is there of you whom if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? And you think about that. Daddy, can I have something to eat? <laughs> Chew on this rock. What daddy's going to do that? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? God didn't answer my prayer, you say. I think he did. And I think he does. And sometimes that good thing which we need is that he doesn't give it to us yet. Or that he gives us something different. God knows best for you. Listen, in the synoptic passage, Jesus says in Luke's gospel, he says, if ye being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him. Then James directs us in our text to the greatest, to the greatest good gift that cometh down from above from God. You ought to know what that is. It comes from the good pleasure of God's will toward lost, fallen sinners. Beloved, it is a gift of salvation through Jesus Christ to everyone that believes. It's the greatest gift. Do you remember what the rich young man said to Jesus? He came and asked him, he said, what good thing 
shall I do that I may have eternal life? Well, son, you're not capable of doing anything that good that you may have eternal life. But you are talking to the one that can do that good thing for you. Jesus, in effect, told him after that, follow me. Follow me. Beloved, the greatest good gift is eternal life. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. That's the greatest gift. Freely bestowed upon all who believe. Oh, but there was a cost. Don't ever think because your salvation is free that there was not a cost. A great cost in the Son of God. In the substitutionary death of Christ who died in my place. You want to see the greatest example of the substitutionary death of Christ? Go to Barabbas. Christ was literally his substitute because that cross in the center was meant for Barabbas. And he, a condemned man, was set free. He was set free. And Christ died in his place. Yes, the greatest good, good gift is your salvation, Christian. Titus 3 and verse 3. Titus 3 and verse 3. <clears throat> Paul talks about how we were in verse 3 we were foolish disobedient serving divers lusts and pleasures living in malice and envy hateful and hating one another it's a good synopsis of what you and I were in our sins we was were every one of we were every one of these things and more he says but after that the kindness and love of, our, of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. There's nothing in there that you or I did to merit eternal life. The transaction of your salvation took place between God the Father and God the Son. You are the beneficiary of that great salvation. Romans 5, and we'll look at this passage and move on. Romans chapter 5 and verse 15 I love this little section of Romans. Paul contrasts our sin with the gift of salvation. He contrasts the offense with the gift of grace. Notice in verse 15 he says, but not as the offense. That's like saying the free gift of salvation is not like the trespass. It's not like that. Then he's, he's, he goes on, verse 15, for if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. Here's the first Adam and the second Adam. Here's Adam that fell and here's Christ that was infinitely perfect and good. Verse 16 says, and not as it was by one that sinned. That's like saying the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. In other words, the result is totally different. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. There again, the free gift. Verse 17, for if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift. That's the third time. The gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. 
Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift, that's four, came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. All I know is this, that good and perfect gift that came down from above, I don't deserve it in the least. None of us do. None of us do. For the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Listen, James desired, he desired to cement and stamp this precious truth into the minds of his readers. And into our minds, beloved, that God is not the author of sin, but he is the author of the greatest good and the most precious gift that could ever be given to a fallen human, the salvation of your soul, the gift of eternal life, which can only come down from above. It can only come down from above, from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Listen, Christian, God promised eternal life to you before the world began. To you personally, Christian, to you who are the saved. If you're lost, you might say, I want some of that. Believe Christ today. Believe Him. Turn from your sins to Christ. Believe Him. Titus 1-2 says, in the hope of eternal life, God, in the hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie, there's another thing God can't do. God can't lie. He promised before the world began. God cannot and does not lie. And listen, God keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. James goes on to call God, the Father of lights, the only one capable of giving light and life to dead and lost souls, the only one that can illuminate the eyes of your understanding. It was one of Paul's prayers for the Ephesians. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. If you're lost, beloved, you're in darkness. I say, beloved, if you're lost sinner, you're in darkness. You need light that comes from God. Only God can reveal truth and give spiritual sight to the blind. Only God can free lost sinners from Satan's grasp. Listen, we need to have compassion on lost sinners. When you see them rejecting you and pushing you off, don't hate them. They're captivated by Satan. They're blinded by the God of this world. Beloved, we need to have compassion on them. Christ frees from sin, from Satan, and from darkness. Satan, on the other hand, is the father of darkness and of lies and of sin, who at this very hour is deceiving, at this very hour, in here, if you're lost, and you've heard the gospel and you've not believed. Listen, this is true of the lost. Satan is actively deceiving and blinding the lost. Actively. It's a wicked spell that he has put on their minds that they might continue in their sins and in the end suffer eternal damnation. Satan never rests. Don't forget this important detail about God and his goodness. There is no variableness in God. He does not and will not waver. He will not change. There is no shadow of turning in him. He cannot be one way today and different tomorrow. He will always be good to you, child of God. If you're a lost sinner today, he is being good to you at this very moment. As I told the kids this morning, he's talking to you. And you, you may come to the judge and say, you never talked to me. Oh, yes, I did when my servant was telling you. When your mom and daddy were telling you about Christ. When your friend opened the Bible and read the scriptures to you. That was me. Oh, beloved. God is good to us. And if you're lost, God is being good to you. Listen, God cannot be different. He will always be good. 
I am the Lord, I change not, saith Malachi. Listen, God cannot change from being infinitely holy and unchangeably good. And there is no other person but God whom we may trust to constantly show us good. And if you're a lost sinner, listen, there's no one else that you can go to to save you. There is no other Savior. There is no other good. There is no other one to trust but Christ. Here's the good part. I mean, I hope that was all good. Remember, O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. James finishes here and he says, of his own will birthed he us, begat he us with the word of his truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Listen, can there be anything better than the precious truth that God, by the good pleasure of his will, let me put that in South Louisiana Springfield language, he saved you because he wanted to. Why did he choose me? Why did he save me? The scriptures say because of the good pleasure of his will. Because he wanted to. He doesn't have to give an explanation. He simply chose to open my heart. Like Lydia's heart was opened in the book of Acts in chapter 5. 16, Paul says they went down to the river and preached the gospel. And it says, and Lydia was there whose heart the Lord opened. Oh, beloved, that's precious. That's good stuff. And so when God saves a sinner, he does it because of the good pleasure of his will. I mean, you, you ought to understand why you need to have very high thoughts of God in this. Listen, he was not persuaded by anyone to choose you from among so many others. He was not persuaded to save you from your sins just because you're just a good kid. No, he did not look through the portals of time and see merit or goodness in you or that you deserve to be saved for there is none righteous, no, not one. No, remember, it was because of the good pleasure of God's will. Well, wait a minute, brother. You said that if you're going to say something, you better be able to go to the Scriptures. Good. Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings, in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. Why? According to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he has abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together one in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his own will. Because God wanted to save you. It was not because of anything in you. I don't know the secret mind of God in that. All I know is what the scriptures teach me. But as many as received him, to them gave he power or the right or the privilege to become sons and daughters of God, which were not born of the flesh, nor of blood, nor of the will of man, nor of your will, but were born of God. If you're born of God, God had to do it. God had to choose you. We are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation. 
through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. How did he do it? Whereunto he called you by our gospel. You, child of God, were chosen. You were predestinated. And then you were birthed into the kingdom of God's dear son. Saved from your sins and from Satan. From eternal damnation. All because of God's good pleasure. It happened in time. By the word of God's truth. Look at verse 13. Ephesians 1. You're right there. In whom ye also trusted. After that you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that she believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest, the guarantee, Chris said that, of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. And then last of all, last of all, James says, now you are a kind of first fruits of his creatures. The first fruits in the Old Testament harvest were always dedicated to the Lord. You are now considered holy unto the Lord. You, child of God, are God's first fruits in this present world, dedicated and devoted unto God. Just turn to 2 Corinthians and then I'll be through. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 14. <clears throat> The Apostle Paul speaking here. For the love of Christ constraineth us in Paul's ministry, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live, notice, should not henceforth live unto themselves or for themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh, Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. He's the first fruits. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God. Every aspect of your salvation is of God, who hath reconciled us to himself, all by himself, with Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and he, he has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. He goes on to tell us that we are ambassadors. Listen, if you're a Christian saved from your sins, saved by his grace, you are the first fruits. You are... You are the harvest of God in this world. And that's your fruit in the world should be that good fruit that leads others to eternal life. In closing, God has never and will never be anything but good to you, Christian. Again, the truth is, if you're here and you're lost, God is being good to you right now. The worst thing that you could do is despise the goodness of God and his call to you to turn from your sins to Christ. Romans 2.4 says this. Paul wrote to the Romans. He says, Do not despise the goodness and long-suffering and patience of God, not knowing if you do this, you don't realize that the goodness of God is that which leads you to repentance. God has given you space to repent if you're lost. Listen, don't forget that there is no good thing that you may do to have eternal life. Don't forget the rich young ruler. The only thing that you can and must do is believe on Jesus Christ. He is the only one that can do that good thing for you. He's the only one that can bestow upon you that good and perfect gift that cometh down from above. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. He does not change. Of his own will begat or birthed he us with the word of his truth. You see how important the word of God is? 
that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. The world is full of creatures, creatures of the world. If you're in Christ, you're a creature of heaven. Literally means a creation of heaven. You're his creation. That should mean something in your life. Oh, beloved, what do you think of God today? I pray that it is nothing but good. Amen. Let's dismiss in prayer. <clears throat> Lord, thank you for your word. I thank you so much that you are good. You're good to your whole creation. Oh God, you are gracious, full of compassion, slow to anger, of great mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. Oh God, may we never think or say anything else but what is true of you, that you are good to us. May we taste and see that the Lord is good. Thank you, oh God, so much for your wonderful grace, your undeserved mercy that we have received in Christ. For those that are lost, I pray that you would, Father, open their hearts as you opened Lydia's heart, that they would taste and see that the Lord is good. Save sinners today, Father. We ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to, I forgot to pray for the food, so we need to do that. I just want to remind everybody there's an ink pen here. And, um, you know, you don't have to do that, but please, if you would, write a little note or something to Teresa and uh, encourage her. And, um, and then uh, pray that the Lord would help us. So I'm going to ask uh, Brother Gary, would you uh, pray for the food, Brother?